Hi, WorkWell listeners. I'm really excited to share that my book, Work Better Together, is officially out. Conversations with WorkWell guests and feedback from listeners like you inspired this book. It's all about how to create a more human-centered workplace. And as we return to the office for many of us, this book can help you move forward with strategies and tools to strengthen your relationships and focus on your well-being. It's available from your favorite book retailer. Self-love is absolutely vital to self-care and well-being. But unfortunately, our society has created an image of what a healthy body looks like that is not only inaccurate, but is also damaging. Our bodies are amazing, and instead of putting ourselves down for what makes us unique, we should be honoring and celebrating it. This is the WorkWell podcast series. Hi, I'm Jen Fisher, Chief Wellbeing Officer for Deloitte, and I'm so pleased to be here with you today to talk about all things well-being. I'm here with Rebecca Tossig. She's a writer, teacher, and advocate known for her Instagram at Sitting Pretty, where she shares many memoirs from her life that explores what it means to live in her particular body. She's also the author of the book, Sitting Pretty, The View from My Ordinary, Resilient, Disabled Body. Rebecca, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So I want to learn about Rebecca. Tell us you know, who you are, tell us your story, and then obviously tell us what led you to writing your book, Sitting Pretty. Sure. Well, who's Rebecca? I, I, there's some titles attached to my name. Um, teacher, writer, new mom. Gosh. Nice. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. I say new mom. How long do I get to say new mom? He's 14 months tomorrow. So as long as you want, I think, (laughs) I think that's up to moms. (laughs) Every day is new. He changes every minute. So I'm a new mom forever. Um, I, yeah, the, the book sitting pretty, um, has been a long time coming. I think I I've been, uh, disabled since I was about three years old. Um, so I've lived in a paralyzed body, um, and used a wheelchair to get around for most of my life. I got my first wheelchair when I was six. It was hot pink. I covered it in smiley face stickers. I was very fond of it and, um, uh, and, and continue to, um, use my wheelchair in most spaces. Um, but I, I grew up in, I'm the youngest of six kids. I grew up in this big family. Uh, nothing in our family changed when I became paralyzed. I mean, I still slept in the top bunk on the top floor of the house and um, in my coveted position, by the way, that was not something I was getting about. Um, and what, what order are you in? The, I'm the youngest. In the, you're the youngest. Okay. I'm you said the youngest. That. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So uh, there's 12 years between all six of us. So my wow. oldest sister is 12 years older than me. Um, so uh, yeah, I just, it was just not a part of me that I um, had very much language or framework to think mm. about or understand. It was just sort of like the the big backdrop to everything, but really unexplored, unexamined. Um, and it wasn't until I was in graduate school. So I was like well into my 20s when I found disability studies as this uh, group of academics thinking through just the notion of disability and normal and um, 
the relationship between <clears throat> bodies and communities and the experience mm. of disability. And uh, it, it really, uh, it sounds dramatic. I've written about the moment when I first read my first piece of disability scholarship, but it changed everything for me. It felt like the physics of the universe were like transforming in real time. Uh, it just changed everything for me about um, how I saw myself and um, <clears throat> and my story and gave me language to explain things I'd never been able to express before. Um, so I, my, my mind was just sort of exploding, uh, and, and in every direction, uh, a lot of it was thinking back through my history, um, thinking through the stories I'd been told about myself and my own experiences and, um, the world and, kind of in the present moment, I was looking at everything differently. And so I start, I mean, writing for a long time has been the space that I go to understand anything. And and so I started writing about um, what I was thinking through and, and documenting some of my experiences in the world. And I went online as a sort of a, a space to keep a record, but also connect with other people. And um and, and that was sort of a second wave of transformation with, for me, like actually connecting with other people, um, some of them disabled, some of them not, um, but just being able to intersect with these stories in meaningful ways that I was working through on my own and um, and then suddenly collaboratively and collectively. Uh, and, and so I wrote in that space online for, I don't know how many, three years maybe before um, it really, I was feeling the limitations and the confines of that space. Um, and it seemed like a book needed to be born. Um, it needed to open my wings up and expand a little bit more. I needed the space of the pages of a book. So um I, I kind of went through the uh, the online writing I'd already done and um, identified some themes that just came up again and again and again, um, like love and romance, um, my identity as a, a woman as that intersects with disability, like healthcare and and the workforce and how to afford, how to actually afford to pay in a body as expensive as mine. Um uh, teaching was another um, piece of that. So every chapter sort of has a different theme, but it's all really personal and it's all informed by the academic work that really changed the way I saw all of my personal um, experiences. So yeah, that's the book. Um, I, um, you know, was teaching when I wrote it um, and teaching high school when I wrote it. And, uh, and then the day... Less than 24 hours after I submitted the final manuscript of the book, I was very surprised to find out that I was pregnant. Um, and so that sort of sent me off on a new course um, that I'm kind of still catching up on. Um, and yeah, my son is 14 months old now. Um, if anyone has read the book, the epilogue kind of ends in a cliffhanger because I was pregnant. And right after I were shocked to find out we were pregnant, my partner, Micah, was diagnosed with cancer. And so um, wow. we were doing all of that at the same time. And I just would like to say, because I'm I'm kind of over the moon about it, today, this morning, um, Micah went to um, in for his one and a half year check-in, scans, blood work, and everything came back showing no signs of the cancer returning. Um, so. Um Amazing. Well, congratulations. I personally know how that feels because I'm a mm. cancer survivor myself and I just celebrated five years. So oh. um, <laughs> I know firsthand that feeling of, of anxiety every time you walk into the cancer yes. center for some sort of scan or blood work or anything of that nature. So, oh, Jen, yes. I mean, it's hard to explain, right? And like, yeah. 
you would think that the more time that goes by, you'd be able to feel easier about it, but there's just that return. Yeah. Um, it kind of takes you, it takes you back every single yeah, time. I haven't, yeah. I haven't figured out how to feel differently about it. I'll let you know if I do though. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this morning Micah left to go to the doctor for this test and I was just right back there, like yeah. imagining and my brain does every, you know, gives me every horrible oh, yeah. picture. But, but today, yeah. you know, we got good news and I'm That's so happy awesome. about your five years. That's enormous. Thank you. Thank you. So I want to go back to something that you said. So you said that early on you didn't really identify or or you weren't really connected to kind of the disabled community. And this wasn't something that you had language around or even knew how to talk about it. How did, I mean, how did that impact you negatively or positively? And I mean, you've, you've alluded to how that's evolved, obviously, over time leading to writing a book. So, so you've obviously shared your story and, and engaged and interacted with others over time. But in your early life, did do you think that hurt you or did that help you? You know, I, I think it, it's it's got to be a both and. Yeah. Um, I, I especially just the part of just not spending a lot of time thinking about it. Mm. Um, so I think that the gift of that is um, that for a lot of my childhood, I just got to be a kid and didn't it, it didn't have to. Uh, I didn't. I didn't really even feel that different until I was maybe in second or third grade. So I, there was this. There's this really sweet period in my childhood where I would just like crawl around the neighborhood, or I'd use my little red tricycle to push myself around the neighborhood, and um, didn't think about the way that I moved. I just kind of moved my body intuitively and did what it, I wanted to do and got where I needed to go. And um, it was a very sweet, sweet time in my life. And I think I got to just be a kid and. Um, in a lot of ways. And I, I think um, my family has always been the space where, you know, I was just Rebecca and um, <clears throat> didn't didn't stand out as uh, exceptionally different from my five other siblings. And I think there was something beautiful in just getting to be. Um, and, um, you know, my family, I, I've described them in the book as like um, the rules of the family would be no whining and no wallowing. And even during cancer treatment, we were, we were really um, – strong and positive and and there's some gifts of that of of like learning resilience and sc scrappiness and um and some spunk and, and strength in that and i think at the exact same time um i think that there were things that i was experiencing that i needed to be able to process i mean there there is strength and um and scrappiness but there was also loss i was experiencing mm -hmm. there was um, kind of recognizing these differences in me, even if no one acknowledged them verbally. Right. Um, there was a certain cost that I was I, uh, experiencing that was unacknowledged, that was different than my siblings, than different than my peers. So I ended up kind of absorbing a lot of shame in the things that made me different and trying very hard to minimize and mask and erase those uh, in tangible and abstract ways. I mean, like I would literally cr crop my disabled legs, my paralyzed right. legs, my wheelchair out of pictures, you know, like that's not a part of me. Um, and I, uh, you know, I would relish in um, anyone saying like, I don't see you as disabled. But the fact was that I 
do have paralyzed legs. I do use a wheelchair. I am disabled. And being able to actually um, be scrappy and disabled, you know, like I get to be strong and disabled at the same time and letting those parts of me coexist. Um, there was some integration and in, that needed to happen um, where I can um, be Rebecca and strong and scrappy and resilient and also be um, disabled and have paralyzed legs and have specific needs and um, and all of that. Um, I, I think it was, it was, it took me a long time to be able to be all of that at once. Um, and, and it was important. It's important to be able to be all of, all of me. Um, so I think, um, there was a time when it was, um, really disruptive, even to my family for me to be processing all of these things. I think it felt threatening. Um, it was scary to have me, um, to kind of learn to tell my own story. And it was sort of different than the story that, my family had agreed or, you know, had, had been telling my whole life. And so, right. um, that was hard, but it was really important. And I think we're all stronger because of it now too. So, so let's, if you don't mind me digging in a little bit there. Never, I never <laughs> um, <laughs> so, I, I mean, to your point, you know, society, and I think as, as a result, so many of us in, in our families have, you know, a specific and oftentimes damaging idea of what a healthy body looks like or mm -hmm. should look like. Mm -hmm. um, so can you talk a little bit about this journey of learning how to embrace, you know, your, your scrappy but disabled body? Yeah. Huh. Well, um, I think part of it was, um, was, when I went online and I was writing about all of these things, I went online and started to find other people that looked and moved like me. And actually, mm -hmm. it was one of the first times in my whole life um, <clears throat> where I was able to see that and and watch somebody um, or see an image, that a beautiful image of someone that was disabled and had paralyzed legs or any other kind of body that wasn't, you know, didn't fit into that normal, tiny little normal box deemed um, healthy and and normal. Um, so I think part of it for me was just getting a glimpse of that for other people and being able to recognize the beauty in that um, really changed the way I, I saw myself. And so um, part of what I was doing in, in my writing online was also taking photographs of myself. And um, I mentioned that I historically had cropped the disabled parts of myself out of images um, or tried to erase that out of the picture um, in whatever creative way I could. And part of what I was doing when I first set out writing was taking pictures of myself that included disabled uh, legs and uh, asymmetrical mm -hmm. feet um, and scars and, um, and my, the scoliosis in my spine. And, um, I wanted there to be more beautiful images that included bodies like that out in the world. So I think part of it was seeing other people do it first and then, and feeling, um, just a little bit of empowerment to do it myself. And, um, and, and honestly, I don't think that changes like that happen, um, when you fundamentally see yourself differently, I don't think that that is something that ever happens overnight, but it was a pretty quick transformation for me. And literally, uh, I feel like my brain responding differently to the image of my body um, as I I 
took care to photograph it and capture it. And, and there was some appreciation that happened every time, you know, I'm picking the filter that I want, but it's like, those are my, those are the scars on my feet. And I'm and turning the, it to art, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. A, that is a beautiful picture. Yeah. Right. So I think that was a big part of it for me. So you have created this incredible following by by doing that, and I did mention your Instagram account and uh, at Sitting Pretty in my in my opening, where you share these. You know, you call them many memoirs of your life. So. Talk about when you started to share, you know, and how these moments and being so vulnerable have impacted you and and the types of feedback that you've gotten from others. Yeah. It almost immediately blew me away, um, the connections and responses from Mm -hmm. people. I – part of it was – it was just kind of an experiment. It was also sort of like a – um, a place to document, but I, I really didn't think that anyone else would be interested in that. I mean, it's so it felt so specific to me. It felt like uh, I'm the only one who's ever experienced this, so I'm going to write about it. But like, who would care? <laughs> um, and and people did for a number of different reasons um, care and were interested. And in either I think in part because there was solidarity or there was something that resonated or was familiar to people who also had felt or experienced some of those things, or there was uh, curiosity about a story that people hadn't heard very much of. Um, and so, yeah, the earliest, I just, just recently went back and was like, what were some of those earliest posts that I did? Um, in the early days, it was, it was much shorter. It was, um, it would be something very simple. Like I think the very, very first, um, post that I did. Um, Mike and I, my partner had only been dating like a year and, um, we went to Arches National Park. Is that what it would be called? Just the Arches in Arizona. Mm -hmm. And, um, and you know, everybody was out like enjoy, like experiencing this, um, beautiful piece of nature. Like everyone was hiking around us and both of us were just like in our AC car, just, just like driving (laughs) through it and, and enjoying that in a totally different way. And I was just sort of like laughing at us and enjoying the, the finding a partner who also, even though he technically could be a hiker, he also just liked to be in the AC with me. And we just drove through it and experienced it that way. That was the first one that I did. It was very, very short and light and simple. Um, and, but they weren't all, I mean, they weren't all light. I think one of the, another one of the early ones was I, um, I was just becoming so much more aware of what it's like to be visibly disabled in the world. And I, and I had started to think about how just the little tiny task of, of getting gas in my car always came with this excruciating, uh, it sounds like a strong word, but it was sort of like this breathtaking, uh, vulnerability every time I got gas in my car where I would stand up and take three steps, three very labored, um, you know, uh, my gait looks very different. I'm dragging one of my feet steps to get gas and, and knowing that strangers are watching me and feeling that and, um, the experience of that and the weight of that. And, um, and all of the strategies that I have for like trying to um, not be seen. And um, so just writing about the, that vulnerability, I think um, the more that I did that, I think the less vulnerable it actually felt in real life to do those things. I think uh, there was a strength in describing mm. it and naming it. And not to say that I am just um, – like completely impervious to stares, you know, like that I don't, I'm not affected. Um, 
to the being stared at or gawked at in public by any means. But I think just um, becoming a part of a community and and describing those stories and having people meet me there and feel that with me and and provide solidarity or understanding or or even just bearing witness to it with me really changed the way it felt to show up in real life. Um, so that it, it really has has changed me yeah. um, in really powerful ways. I becoming a mom kind of became a new layer to that that I'm having to grapple with in new ways and figuring out how to write about that is a whole new layer. But um, yeah, just as a as a woman out in the world in a visibly disabled body, I, I know that writing about it and finding that community of people online really has changed the way it feels like to be in my body. Um, in a really tangible way. Well, and and let let's talk about motherhood and and how <laughs> you keep bringing it up, so I'm going there. <laughs> Good grief! Come on, lady. I mean, how how has motherhood impacted your life and 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 your perspective and kind of just you know tell tell us what's going on, yeah. tell us what you think. It's been a massive leveling up experience. I think mm-hmm. um, I you know I. I learned all these things about myself and I learned, I, you know, I went to graduate school and, and found this framework that helped me understand life and I had language and I, um, and then I wrote this whole book and I found this community and I, you know, I like, I had a handle on the slipperiness of life. And then literally less than 24 hours later, this, this baby has <laughs> been announced to me. And, um, yeah, it has been, it's been a really, uh, shockingly, it's it shocked me what a leveling up it has been that the, are, there are these tools and skills that I had gathered around me that had, had really felt like they had um, handed me the, the, you know, the key I'd been missing. Like now things make more sense and I feel more powerful. And then this baby came along and in some ways, you know, I think in some ways I continued to feel empowered as a disabled mom and, um, I think I I was really shocked to find that disability actually in some ways trained me for the things I would need as a mother. Mm. Um, and that was not something I expected because motherhood and disability are often held up as like two opposing experiences. They are hardly ever imagined together. Um, it's very rare um, to hmm. see those two identities um, represented as coexisting. And so I was really shocked and had not expected to find that they really mirrored each other in so many ways. Um, even just like the immediate um, becoming a, a member of the group, you know, like as a disabled person, there's this solidarity when you describe something and everybody knows it and suddenly there's this fast bond. And and now as a mom, I would like be on the phone with someone at the bank and, and Otto would be crying. My son would be crying in the background and they're like, oh, how old is he? Oh, is he teething? You know, and like there's this immediate connection and I had never belonged to another group that felt like that. But also in things like, um, you know, <laughs> there are a lot of things about being having a baby that felt like having a disability. Like um, all of the ways that you have to your plans, the way you plan things change. Right. You can't like, just you just can't up and walk out of the house yes, and go do what you want. Yes. <laughs> you have to know like what's this space going to be like and what yeah. and what do we have with us and um who's going to be there and what's the schedule going to be like and um and like just having to plan differently or even like 
having to accommodate our house or having to accommodate our car or like Mm. uh, the adaptability and flexibility. Baby proof. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and it changing and the demands of that changing constantly, like all of that felt so familiar to me. So that in that way, that was like a pleasant surprise. I think what has been harder is, you know, um, a lot of what I have grappled with um, as a as a single individual human person um, is is that as a disabled woman, uh, a lot of times the world expects me to be more helpless than I am or sees me differently mm. than I see myself. And as a as an individual, that is that can be very frustrating. That can be really disempowering. As a mother moving through the world and having people see me as helpless um, is a different game. Um, see, So if you think that I can't get in my car by myself, that's one thing. But if you think I, I can't get my son in my car or I can't take care of my son at the park, um, that's a different feeling. That's a different experience. And when Otto was about three months old, uh, I was – attending a virtual panel with a bunch of disabled parents. And um, one of them was a lawyer um, who worked specifically uh, with custody battles. And and I learned after Otto was three months old that I think it's almost 30 states in the U.S. Um, still have laws on the books that uh, say that disabled parents can lose custody of their children for no other reason than being disabled, mm-hmm. um, that no proof of neglect or abuse would be necessary in that case. Um, and and even as I didn't really believe that I was going to lose custody of Otto, I think just knowing that those laws are in the world I live in, I mean, like in the state I live in, I think that that changed what it felt like for me to be in public with my son. And that was a whole set of things that I was having to grapple with um, that weren't there before. And the stakes were much higher um, for me. And so that's something I'm I'm continuing, continually uh, grappling yeah. with. And of course, Otto was born during the pandemic. So the times that we went outside were rare and there was so much more weight put on every single one, um, you know, because we, we didn't do it very often and didn't have a lot of practice with it and didn't have a lot of calluses or resilience built up around, you know, what how how to respond when people would say, inevitably say things to us that felt... Um, off or inappropriate or uncomfortable. So, um, yeah, it's been a, it's been a massive leveling up. And in some ways I felt exceptionally prepared. And in other ways I felt like, are we really back at square one? Like I thought (laughs) I learned these things. I thought I knew how to do this and now I'm having to like relearn it. I think. I I feel like that's, that, that's, you know, not to downplay it in any way, but isn't that life in general, right? (laughs) Totally. I just thought maybe I could be the exception. Maybe I could, you know, figure it all out. You're pretty amazing to me. So for whatever that's worth. (laughs) That is, thank you. I will take that. (laughs) So let's talk about resilience because this is a word that you use quite frequently in your book, but in particular in the title of your book, you, you refer to your ordinary resilient and disabled body. And, um, you know, resilience is certainly a word that we have heard so much over, you know, during the pandemic over the last 15, 16 months. Talk to us about what resilience means to you, how you develop it, how, you know, right. Seems a little silly asking you how you practice it because you have to practice it in everyday life, I imagine. Mm-hmm. But but why mm-hmm. is this important to you? Why is this? Why was this important to describe your, you know, yourself and your body in this way? 
Yeah, I think that's a really good question and probably one I I could stand to reflect on more consistently. Because, <laughs> um, you know, it's interesting because it does feel like um, an obvious word for my life. Um, but, I, yeah, like why, why – um, what does that mean? I think a lot of it, I, when I think of the word resiliency, I think of um, buoyancy, I think of adaptability and flexibility um, and a uh, an ability or an, a, a willingness to continually reimagine. Mm. Um, I think, I, I mean, adaptability is an obvious, obvious part of the experience of, of a person who lives in a body that... Um, and in a in a body and in a, wor- a world that is not made for the body they live in, I guess I should right. say. Um, and so having to uh, continually figure out <clears throat> um, how to interact with the world and how to show up, and um, even when it's not thinking of you, <laughs> um, I think that 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 has fostered resiliency in me. Um, but I think that part of the like continually needing to reimagine. Um, it's it's like you like you were just saying like life is such a, a series of of um, unexpected turns so often and um, I think a lot of times we can get in our head about the story of what this should be or look like and my experience in this body has um, has continually changed that story mm-hmm. I mean like even uh, before I got pregnant so like a few years ago, I um, started developing uh, really n- like new levels of pain in my body and my legs took on like this new level of spasticity I'd never had before. And it was changing my ability to navigate the world in the way that was familiar to me. Um, and, and it was like almost a year of, of tests and going to doctors and we found a new thing, uh, a, new, a new cyst in my spine, and and, and it was uh, chronic. It was not going away, and it was um, having to grapple with what is that's not part of my story. Like now, I just have to. I just live with this this pain, and and I I'm already disabled. I'm going to have to like take on a new way of adapting to like a new level of a new um, set of legs. You know, like it it felt. Um, unfair and it felt mm. um, uh, like this is not the way the story is supposed to go. I already know the story. This doesn't fit. Um, I already went through the hard thing and I don't, you know, um, it, it will happen again, you know, like in the future. I'm sure there's another thing ahead that will be like that and another detour. And I think that the, the resiliency to me is that buoyancy. It's the it's the bounce. It's the being able to like get smacked this way and sort of bounce back in and say like, okay, well now we're doing it this way, you know, and now the story maybe looks like this and, and that's a, it's, it's more than okay. It feels like that is life. Um, that's, I don't know. I, I, I feel like I could think about that maybe for the rest of the <laughs> afternoon, but that's maybe the first thing that comes up for me with that word. No, that, that was great. But if you have other thoughts, you can get back to me later. Okay. Too. That's, <laughs> just send me a note. Perfect. So, so I want to talk about body image. You know, I think you, you know there's so many people that that struggle with body image, myself included, uh, for so much of my life. So living in a disabled body obviously takes that to a, another level, right? Um, and so, what advice do you have for anybody that might be struggling, whether they're disabled mm-hmm. or not, with a, a body positive mindset and kind of image? Like, how do you get mm-hmm. there? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I did mention earlier, and I think this is maybe one of the most tangible, um, easiest first steps is really about the images that you're consuming. Yeah. And we don't have complete control over that, right? We're like, we are saturated in images. Um, but there, we do have a bit of control of that and, and what we- And a lot of them are, are um, you know, images that are seemingly perfect that aren't yes. really perfect. <laughs> yes. So they're like, literally, we're already choosing like 0.5% of the population. And then right. we're going to also um, modify that to be even more ideal. And um, yeah, like uh, thin bodies and young bodies and fit bodies and wrinkles, like smooth, no wrinkles, no spots, no, you know, um, the impossible body. I mean, even if you happen to have that body for one summer of your life, I mean, we're like all growing and changing inevitably. So that is just, that doesn't reflect us. Um, And so I think that, I mean, I know that that was huge for me and what I um, was able to, what's the word I'm looking for? Like filter um, the the people in my feed and on social media or even the things that I choose to watch. And I think, um, I don't, I think also for me, um, and I, I think maybe this would work for some people. I don't, I don't, it might depend on your personality, but for me, I think so much of it had to do with becoming more um, aware of the story of my body. Um, and thinking about my body over the span of my life and its presence in every single story that I've lived, um, and, and thinking about what my body, how my body has shown up for me. Um, I, I think one of the, one of the most clarifying moments for me in that kind of work was, um, uh, early on as I was writing about my disability, I started looking through old medical files for me. Um, and there's like just stacks of like 1980s typewriter written medical, not, they truly weren't typewriters, but looked like it, um, like old medical files. And one of them was, um, a photograph that was taken of me when I was probably about two. Um, and I was being held down for, uh, radiation tattoos on my chest. And I don't know why they took a photo of that. Uh, it seems like an odd thing to photograph, but, um, there, my face was there and I recognized her. I recognized that expression. Mm. I recognized her eyes. Um, and I, it, there was just this clarifying, um, moment for me of thinking like my body has been here showing up for me from day one, right? Like showing up for me, um, and, and hanging in there and, um, doing her best to keep me alive and protected. And she remembers all of it, even if I don't remember, um, even if I don't have that clarifying moment of memory, I don't remember being held down to tattoo, uh, being tattooed for radiation, but, I know my body remembers that. And um, there's just this reverence that has come for me over time, um, reverence that I have felt more for my body. And that just changes the way that I uh, look at her. It feels weird to talk about. (laughs) It changes that, right? Like that story is different. And I – it's harder for me and not to say that I'm exempt. I mean, I've, I've been getting these new age spots on my cheeks. Um, at first I thought that was, it was like a really s- tricky smudge of dirt. And I was like, oh no, that's permanent. Um, and so I think like, even as I'm aging and, and my skin is changing and my body has changed since giving birth, like, it's not like I never have thoughts like, 
oh no, wrinkles. Um, but it, I don't know. I think the more that I recognize that my body is the holder of all of my stories and has been there mm. for every single one of them, it's hard harder for me to think about scrutinizing and um, and being exacting and, and demanding of of her appearance. Um, again, it feels weird. I don't know what this like her like <laughs> something happening there. But um, yeah, I think that those were big, those were important for me at least. That that's I mean just super powerful and something that I feel like I, I need to subscribe to more often for, mm. for sure. <laughs> um, so Rebecca, how do you define well-being and, and what is what does daily self-care look like for you? Yeah, I wish I was such a pro. I wish that I had my four <laughs> points to just share. Um, I, I think um, when I, I think, I think a word or a sensation that I think of often when I think of well-being, I think of breath. Um, mm. I think of breathing and um, slowing down enough to pay attention to my breath, of thinking um, when I'm in spaces or with people where breathing is easy. Um, uh, so I think of like the brownie that I shared with my partner, Micah, last night. You know, we had like <laughs> four minutes together before he had to get back to work and um, – and right after we put Otto to bed, like I think of of those moments, um, and I think of reaching for more moments like that. I think the opposite of that is like when I'm so busy that I'm like I realize I haven't. Am I even breathing? Like you know, um, right. or even being in moments where um, breathing doesn't come easy, or where I feel like my shoulders are tensing up, and I can feel that I'm exiting my body and I'm operating in a different plane. I mean, I think sometimes that's necessary. I think sometimes in order to like get work done, we find ourselves in those places. But um, I think as much as I can try to find my breath and return to that in the, in the spaces where that's easier and uh, that, I don't know, that's kind of a vague answer, <laughs> but well, um, it's not at all. I mean, the, the breath is very powerful. So yeah. that's an incredible, you know, self-care strategy that, you know, what's great about it is it, is it, it in large part is available to everyone right. <laughs> for free. Right. Yeah. And it's with us all the time. So, um, yeah. it's something that, that we can all access. So Rebecca, one last question for you. This has been amazing. So thank you so much. What, what's next for you? Oh, good question. <laughs> um, yeah, I, you know, I'm trying to be. I'm trying to be very. Um, right after the book came out, I said yes to every single thing that that came <laughs> in my inbox, and I'm trying to be pickier, uh, including this podcast was one of the things I was being pickier. I said yes, I would like to have a conversation with Jen, um, but I um, I'm trying to be pickier about the things that I say yes mm. to, and um, one thing that I've been putting a lot of time into is. Um, uh, Sitting Pretty, the book, has been optioned to be a TV show. Um, wow. Congratulations. Thank you. I, you know, it's I'm learning so much so fast. And one of the things that seems um, that everybody is reminding me at every turn is that there's, you know, it's like such a flighty world and there's no guarantee that anything actually makes it to a screen. But we're working really hard and, and um, I'm working with a co-writer and um, right. we're, we're really hopeful, you know, like when I was talking about television is changing and there's more stories being told on screens with more bodies. Like I'm really hopeful that, um, that's going to be a part of it, uh, that, that sitting pretty will be a part of that work. But even if, even if sitting, if we don't make it all the way to screens, um, 
I think experienced. Yeah, I think yeah. yeah, and that too, like the experience of working in a whole different form of writing, um, and with people in an industry that I, you know, had been unfamiliar with before is really exciting. I'm really, um, I'm, I'm working through ideas for a second book that in, include um, old, old stories from the past, uh, and and new stories of motherhood, and kind of figuring out the relationship between those. Um, so I'm excited. I'm really excited about a second book um, that. Uh, maybe would have more narrative in it um, than sitting sitting pretty has snippets of narrative surrounded in lots of um, ideas. Um, but I'm excited about a second book, and I um, I just signed with a, a speaking agency, and so I'm doing a lot of speaking things and meeting people. I have my first in person speaking <laughs> uh, event in September, which is whew, nice. I'm, I don't know how to feel about it, <laughs> but. Um, <laughs> Yeah, there's, I think so, there's, there's a lot of people that don't know how to feel about that. Don't yeah, worry. Right? <laughs> Here it comes. Um, so yeah, there's a there are a lot of different things uh, in the works, and um, but I'm trying to be cautious about you know yeah. how I dive into them because since having auto, uh, my time just feels different. Um, yeah, for I spend sure. My time well, you have to say no to things to say yes to things yes. that are you know, more aligned, but congratulations. Um, I, I'm, I'm pulling for you on the TV show. You have to definitely keep me posted on that. Um, so, so if, and when I can tune in and, and definitely on the, on the second book. So, uh, like I said, I mean, amazing to have you on the show. Um, thank you for your honesty and your vulnerability and what you're putting out in the world, because we, we all need more of Rebecca. Ah, thank you. (laughs) I really loved this conversation and your questions were just lovely. So thank you so much for having me. Thank you. I'm so grateful Rebecca could be with us today to talk about her story. Thank you to our producers, Rivet360, and our listeners. You can find the WorkWell podcast series on Deloitte.com, or you can visit various podcatchers using the keyword WorkWell, all one word, to hear more. And if you like the show, don't forget to subscribe so you get all of our future episodes. If you have a topic you'd like to hear on the WorkWell podcast series, or maybe a story you would like to share, please reach out to me on LinkedIn. My profile is under the name Jen Fisher, or on Twitter at JenFish23. We're always open to your recommendations and feedback. And of course, if you like what you hear, please share, post, and like this podcast. Thank you and be well.